My name is Melody. I'm one of your pastors here. And today we are in between series. So that means that we get to have a standalone message, which are always fun because I think the standalone messages really give us a chance to share real time what God is doing in our lives and our hearts. And um, so this message is one that's been in my heart for quite some time. And um, I'm excited to share it today. So Last week, Benjamin did a standalone message, and it was about surrender, and it was about the things that we cling to. And it was really interesting to me because we did not discuss with each other what our standalone messages were going to be about. However, it turns out that both of them are about surrender. So apparently, the Lord wanted a little mini-series about surrender right in the middle of things, which, you know, when he does stuff like that, I tend to pay attention. So I feel like today is a pretty important day. I'm really glad you guys are are here to be a part of it. So today I'm talking about surrender, but I'm, I'm talking about a very specific thing that we are invited to surrender. And I'm coming at it from a pretty personal angle, so I'm going to be sharing a little bit of my personal story of the last few months. Um, but in that, I think there's some teaching for all of us. So I was sitting in a pastor meeting a couple months ago, and we go to these pastor breakfasts once a month and kind of just um, fellowship with other pastors. And one of the pastors was sharing um, something that he had been kind of struggling with and teaching about in his church, which was this idea of shaking the dust off your feet. Now, this is one of my actually least favorite passages in Scripture when Jesus talks about shaking the dust off your feet. And interestingly enough, Benjamin's message last week also had one of the other very challenging passages from Jesus about, like, you, you have to forsake your mother and your father and your family to follow me. And, like, that's pretty challenging, too. And now this one, shaking the dust off your feet, I find it a little bit challenging. And so I was really paying attention to what he was saying that day because it's one of the ones that kind of I haven't quite always understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. So we're going to look at the passage in Matthew, and then we'll unpack it here today. In Matthew 10, starting at verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Now that's a little bit challenging. That does not necessarily sound like the unconditional love of Jesus that we all know and celebrate and sing about, right? Like what? If the house isn't worthy, take your peace with you and shake the dust off your feet. Like this feels challenging, Jesus. What are you really trying to say here? This is how I've always felt about this scripture. Like, don't you need us to be your hands and feet, Lord? Aren't we supposed to pursue people with the gospel message? What do you mean? Shake the dust off your feet. But as I listened to that pastor that day, he started talking about the pain of rejection. Rejection. 
which is a very specific pain. And it's a very specific pain that I deal with in my life on a constant basis because it's probably my deepest fear. I know we all have different deepest fears, but that's probably mine, rejection. And he spoke of the reality that day that as we take the love of Jesus to the world, we will face rejection. That is part of the price that we pay, right? And he spoke about what happens to us when we start to experience rejection in our lives. And he talked about a residue, a residue that begins to form. And I really resonated with what he was saying that day about this residue. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage, right? He's saying, don't get bogged down in this pain of rejection. Just keep planting the seeds of my love, right? Heal the sick, raise the dead, take care of the orphans, show my love to the world. Just keep doing what I've asked you to do and don't get bogged down in that pain of rejection. That's what he's saying. Shake the dust off your feet because if you don't shake it off, it becomes residue in your soul. So that's kind of tough. I mean, that's easy for Jesus to say, but like, what does that look like, shaking the dust off your feet? And as I listened that day, I realized that I had some work to do. I had some thinking and praying to do about this idea of residue. So it occurred to me that I think some of us have a bit of a problem with this. Because I think sometimes we release the weight that we are carrying as a part of our gospel life. We release the weight. We forgive. We move past hurts. But do we cling to the residue of those experiences? What do we do with that residue? What do we do with that dust that gets on our feet when we are hurt or rejected in the name of Jesus? Sometimes I think that we keep that residue around on purpose, actually. I think that I did. I do, probably. And I think we keep it around because it reminds us of our pain. Maybe we feel like it's going to protect us from more pain. Maybe we feel like we can give ourselves some sympathy for that pain, right? It allows us to stay present with the pain that we experience, but it influences how we show up to the world, right? And maybe we think we need it to protect us so that we don't have to experience rejection again. Maybe we think we need it. But what did Jesus just say to do with it? Shake the dust off your feet. So how do we do that? And what does it cost us to keep it around? So these are the questions that we are going to delve into today. But first, a story. Now, you know those games when it tells you like there's this thing and you have to like tell your most embarrassing story of your whole life. You know, those games that are like so fun. So I have, whenever I'm playing those games, I have a specific story that comes to mind for me. But I never share it because it's really a strange and embarrassing story. It really is. So I don't know that I've ever shared it in a public setting, but ah, today's the day I'm going to share it with you because it totally goes with this message. So this is my most embarrassing story from childhood. I'll thank you to not tease me with it later. So you guys know that I, m many of you know, I grew up at a youth camp at Circle A and my dad, my parents were the directors of the camp for all the years I was growing up. And so I loved to participate as a young child. I loved to participate in what the campers were doing each day. 
So after breakfast every day at camp, they would have this bunkhouse competition where the boys would clean the boys' bunk and the girls would clean the girls' bunk and they would have a competition to see who had the cleanest bunk and who would win. So I always, of course, went and helped the girls because that was fun and I thought it was cool. Like I was almost old enough to be a camper, but not quite. So I would go help clean in the girls' bunk. Well, this one particular day I was up there cleaning and someone had this bottle of hairspray. Now, it was like a, like a pump bottle of hairspray, not like an aerosol, right? So you could like dump it out and, right? So someone had this bottle and they washed it out and they gave it to me filled up with water. And I thought that was so fun. I was like nine years old maybe at the time. I thought that was so fun because it was really hot. It was the summer. There was no air conditioning. So I was like spraying myself, spritzing to cool off like one would do with a nice spray bottle of water. That was nice. So I, took, I carried this bottle of water with me for the day. Well, then I became thirsty, and like a nine-year-old would think to do, I thought it would be a good idea to like spray it in my mouth and have a little drink of my water spray that I had. So I was like drinking the water bottle throughout the day. Well, this particular year, I also was attending the seminars with all of the kids. And my dad had made a rule that I could come to the seminars and listen, but only if I would sit right in the front row and take notes. So my little nine-year-old self, right in the front row, taking notes during the seminar. Well, I don't know how I got a little bit distracted this day, but I was not paying attention. And I started to read this bottle of hairspray that I had. And I saw, as a nine-year-old, don't, I don't know what I was thinking, I saw that one of the ingredients of this hairspray was alcohol. And I freaked out. I totally freaked out thinking that I was going to get in so much trouble because I had been putting this residue of alcohol into my body because I had been spraying it into my mouth, and I freaked out. So what did I do in the middle of seminar? No one can probably guess what I did because it was really embarrassing. I took the, <laughs> I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but I took the lid off the bottle, sitting right there, my dad is up here talking, and I took the bottle, and I just dumped it on the floor. I just dumped it on the floor right there in front of all the children. Everyone starts laughing, and my dad is asking me what I'm doing. And I'm so petrified that I've just had alcohol residue that I, I don't even tell him. I don't tell him why I did it. I'm just sitting there dumping water on the floor. And I don't actually know to this day if he knows why I did that. I should tell him that would be a good story for him. But I was so terrified of this residue of alcohol that was apparently in this hairspray bottle that I dumped it all over the floor. Well, now you know my most embarrassing story, and we hopefully will have to not revisit it ever. But I thought of it today because I was thinking about residue and how residue affects us. And I was so terrified of whatever residue was in that bottle that day, and I probably did not handle it well. But maybe I was on to something, right? Because how does residue affect us? How does it affect us? I think if we look at health and wholeness as human beings, we learn from a lot of wise teachers in the areas of mental health and physical health about clearing away residue in our lives, right? I just finished Whole30. Yes, I did. I did it. And I know the only reason anyone goes on Whole30 is to brag they were on Whole30. So you're welcome. There's my brag. It's over now. But I did it. But the reason you do Whole30 is to cleanse away the residue, right? You don't only eliminate the foods that might be causing a problem for you, you eliminate even the residue of them in your system. That's why you have to have absolute zero tolerance for 30 days. Because what you're trying to find out is what is your life like without that residue? What is your physical health like 
without that residue inside your body. I think the same thing could be asked about our spiritual selves, about our souls. What sort of residue accumulates in us that maybe we aren't completely aware of, okay? And think about this. If you're thinking about Whole30 and you're thinking about what effects would I feel in my body if that residue wasn't with me anymore? Translate that to a spiritual thought for a second. What would my life be like if that residue wasn't with me anymore? When my pastor friend was talking that day, he started commenting on the conviction that he was carrying with this feeling of carrying residue around with him. And not only a conviction that he was carrying it, but that having that dust on his feet, having that residue in his soul, he was tracking it into other stories. And that really made me stop and think, what sort of residue do we maybe track into other stories, into other lives, into other relationships? Because it's still a part of us, right? I think it clouds our ability to see the one true narrative of redemption. when We have too much residue going on inside of us. So as I got to thinking about this idea, I realized, yeah, there's some places in me that have some residue going on, I think. And I could see that it was clouding my ability to see. So it occurred to me that while rejection might be one of the huge ones, certainly in my life, there might be other sorts of residue that we also carry around, right? Rejection is the main one, and that's the one that Jesus is talking about in this passage, but there are others. I think there are other sorts of wounds. I think there's shame. I think there's certainly fear, probably sin. All of these things can be residue in our lives. Now, they can also be actual active pain. Like, these can also be active situations going on. But they can just be residue that we haven't quite let go of yet, right? And how much simpler would our lives be? How much more beautiful and clear would our lives be if we weren't carrying around this residue with us? 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, With promises like this to pull us on, dear friends, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. A clean break with everything that distracts us. Doesn't that sound amazing? Great, let's just do that. We're going to surrender our residue today. We're going to go out of here all clear and focused. That'll be great, right? Well, yeah, it sounds great, but also sounds a little bit complicated. Like, how does one do this? How does one clear away this residue? How does one surrender it? How do we even do that? Well, I'm going to go through a few steps that I've learned, and I think all of our journeys are a little bit different about this. My hope today is just to plant the question in your heart, what residue might you be carrying, and what would it look like to flourish without carrying that residue? But here's what I do. And I've started this as a practice in my life. I've added it to my spiritual practices because I've found it to be very important. So when I'm ready to surrender the residue, step number one is stillness. Stillness. Now, 
If you were here for our still series, you know what I mean by that. Picture a running river flowing through the forest. And pretend that you take a jar and you scoop out the water from that river. Initially, that water is going to be really murky, right? It's not going to be clear. You're not going to be able to see what's going on because everything, all the sediments and dirt and rocks are all rushing around in the rushing river, right? So when you scoop out the jar at first, it will be murky. But if you set the jar down and you wait in the stillness, eventually the rocks will settle to the bottom and the sediment will settle to the bottom and the water will become clear. And you can see what's going on in that river. And the same thing is true with our souls, right? We probably aren't going to notice the residue that's going on in our lives if we don't take the time to become still enough to look for it. So that's the first step, is stillness. It has to settle so you can see what's there. Then the second step is noticing. Noticing, right? It's, it's one thing to become still. It's another thing to actually see it, right? And you might notice residue that's clinging to the edge of the jar. You might notice some, some old feelings of rejection that haven't quite healed. You might notice some shame that you're still carrying or some fear. It might be there. You might be able to see it. It's the stuff that's clinging to the edge of the jar that's it's past, but it's still taking space. It's still taking space in your mind, in your heart. So the next step for me is owning it, owning it. I usually do that by writing it down, but whatever, whatever works, if it's just in a moment of prayer, then I'm just going to own it to God, right? But I have to record it somehow so that I can say to God that this thing is still with me. This thing is still with me. And it's an important moment of owning it, that it's, it's still mine, and I own it. And then the next step is surrender. Surrender. Because if we own it, then we can give it to God. Right? If we see it, that it's ours, and we own it, then we can give it to God. And it's, it's a simple, honest prayer from our heart to God's ears. God, this thing is still with me. And I want to give it to you, right? So what happens next? Does it disappear? Probably not, right? What about all the reasons that we wanted to keep this thing around? What about the fact that it's going to protect us? It's going to teach us. It's going to, like, we're going to have memories of it so that we cannot have to experience that again, right? Like, are we just going to forget about it? Is God just going to walk around with the men in black flasher and it's gone and we never have to feel it again? Is that what's happening? I struggled with that question, and I knew I was surrendering these things, like, take them, God, but I didn't really know what was going to happen after that because they weren't disappearing from my story, right? And then I realized the truth. Maybe it doesn't disappear. Maybe it's redeemed. Of course, it's redeemed. He doesn't wipe away our stories. He doesn't wipe away our experiences or our memories, but he does redeem them, every last one of them. That is the one true narrative of redemption, right? The residue doesn't disappear, but the pain might. 
the pain might eventually disappear as it becomes redeemed. So when we're doing this step of surrender, we're not inviting deletion, we're inviting redemption, right? There's a poem that I read on my retreat that I went on a few weeks ago, and it brought this idea into crystal clarity, that the residue doesn't get deleted, it gets redeemed. So let's look at this. O Lord, deepen my wounds into wisdom. Shape my weaknesses into compassion. Gentle my envy into enjoyment, my fear to trust, my guilt into honesty. God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. He takes those wounds and the weakness and the envy and the shame and the pain and the fear and the guilt, and he turns it into something beautiful because that is the one true narrative of redemption, right? When we empty ourselves of these things, they become redeemed, and we begin to transform and we become more like him. Because the truth is that these are the things that he uses to transform us into looking like him. This is how he does it, right? Someone once said that pain is a traveling professor, and it sits with you until it has taught you what you needed to learn. I think that's kind of what this residue is for us, right? If there's stuff going on in our jar, if there's stuff clinging to the edges of the jar that still hurts, that's still present, that's still affecting the way that we view the world, it's probably that traveling professor sort of a pain that's going to sit with us until it teaches us what we need to learn. And how does it do that? When we own it, and then when we give it to God. Think of Jesus that day, talking to his disciples. He's sending them out two by two to go show his love to this whole community of people who don't get it. And he knows what he's sending them into. If you read this whole chapter, it is full of hard things that they are about to walk into, and he knows what he's sending them to do. And what he's asking them to do is to not get so bogged down in the rejection that they're about to face that they give up on the Jesus way that they give up on sharing his love with the world. Matthew 10, 17. It's the same talk. A little bit later, he says, don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor giving you a platform for pre preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words. When people realize that it is the living God you are presenting and not some idol that makes them feel good, they're going to turn on you. Even people in your own family. There is a great irony here. Proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate. But don't cave in. Don't quit. All is well worth it in the end. Well, this is tough. This is tough. This is what Jesus is asking his disciples to do. It's what he's asking us to do. It's to stand our ground in the place of love, regardless of the rejection, regardless of the wounds, 
regardless of the pain, regardless of the fear. That's what he's asking us to do. So my question today is what residue are we carrying? What baggage, what cloudiness, what rejection are we carrying around? And what could it look like to own it and surrender it? To own it and surrender it. Something really beautiful is the end of this speech that Jesus gives. He goes on much more about torment and torture and all of the things that they are going to face in the name of spreading his love. But in the end, he ends with something really beautiful. He ends with acceptance. This is the end of that chapter. Jesus says, We are intimately linked in this harvest work. Anyone who accepts what you do accepts me, the one who sent you. Anyone who accepts what I do accepts my Father who sent me. Accepting a messenger of God is as good as being God's messenger. Accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help. This is a large work I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. Well, what is this? Accepting is as good as giving? Giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice of the Jesus way? I think what he's saying here is the importance of community. The importance of doing this work together, of being intimately linked in the harvest work of being intimately linked with the kingdom economy of giving and receiving. Because when we're linked in a community like that, rejection doesn't hurt so much. Because there is acceptance from him and from our community, right? The church is meant to play a part in this redemption. A body that accepts, that gives, and receives. It doesn't reject the love of Jesus. That's what community is for. So the band can come up, we'll finish up this morning, with the passage from Hebrews, inviting us to say yes to this Jesus way, inviting us to say yes to courage, to love. So let's look in Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So here's what I'm taking away from today. This residue will build up in us again and again as we say yes to the Jesus life. It will build up. And I pray that we find the courage to surrender it, to slow down, to notice it, 
to own it and then to release it because there is redemption in it every time, guys. I promise you. But we will, we will face that rejection. We will build up that residue. So the other encouragement today is of community, is of coming together and spurring one another on towards love and good deeds because that is what Jesus calls us to do. So let's pray. God, I pray that our hearts are challenged this morning with this invitation to surrender, this invitation to see some of the things that we're carrying maybe from a long time ago, maybe from today, things that we're carrying that cloud our view of you and of your invitation to be your hands and feet in this world, to carry the good news of the gospel to our families, to our city. God, there's rejection residue in us that makes us afraid. And I pray today that we will see it, that we will own it, and that we will give it to you. And I pray for the stories of redemption. I pray that there will be some in this moment. I pray that there will be some on this day. I pray that there will be redemption moments in every day to come as we surrender to you and say yes to your kingdom work. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray.